Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond behind the mic in the podcast studio in Stoneville, Mississippi. Tom is here with me. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon. I about raked our whole system off in the floor there by kicking the cord. That would be a minor technical flaw. Not minor. That'd be major. <laughs> minor technical flaw from the f- standpoint that there's a cord in the way. As soon as we figure out what that other box does. Major, <laughs> major when everything else goes on the floor. And Oh, wait, we had that all hooked up. We liked it. What happened? You got to admit that we're doing good with cords. Oh, we got, well, what do we have, four cords in the floor? We're doing better. Better, yeah. Good's a stretch. It's better than what it was six weeks ago. Oh, without question, yeah, because yeah, we, we know what most of these cords do now. Nothing like going to school in one discipline and then all of a sudden being thrown into this new universe of, wait a minute, now there's all this software, and hold on a second, why does my voice echo? And we talk about this a lot. You get to an age where you just don't want to advance anymore. Technology, I mean, I've kind of reached my pinnacle of technology and then you wade off into this arena and it's like whoa it's a whole new ball game of stuff you have never been exposed to in your life this is something we've been talking about for a couple weeks now we've definitely been throwing some texts back and forth and having some conversations in the office and and this really stems from whenever owen taylor passed away tyler hydrick had picked up the phone and called me and and said you know hey Owen and I were close. I said, yeah, I said, I, th- I think we all were, were fairly close to Owen in one form or another because we typically would spend time talking to him on a pretty regular basis depending upon what portion or aspect in agriculture you had. Tyler and I really dove off into, you know, isn't it interesting how many little different directions you can go in agriculture? And I think all of us that are doing the jobs that we have, and I'm speaking mostly from the standpoint here at the university, we know what that job entails. But a lot of the people that we deal with on a regular basis, daily, kids in school, and I'm talking undergrad, high school and whatnot, they're not necessarily in tune with that whole direction and the direction that they can go in agriculture. And over the years, I've become fairly passionate about the fact that hey, there's, there's a lot of different directions you can go. So how did we all get here and how might that influence somebody else to make a decision to either go into agriculture or at least start in that discipline and see where they end up? And, and really that, that conversation was more about, hey, look, there's some people that do what Owen did from a standpoint of being an editor or a writer. And so many of the people at that level are either retired or beginning to retire, who's going to replace those folks? Because you get into that whole conversation about advocates and who are the people that advocate that advocate for agriculture. They're the people that we refer to as advocates. But shouldn't we spend more time advocating for our own discipline within agriculture? I agree, Tom. The folks that work in our program always stress that you know, everybody's got a job to do. and Your job's different from their job, is different from somebody else's job, but it takes everybody to do the stuff that gets done in our program on a monthly basis or a yearly basis. 
And I think that's the same thing that you're talking about here. You do what you do, and then a person like Owen did what he did, and huge contribution. I mean, that dude talked to how many people every week to collect the information that he collected. Look what he did for us. I mean, he was instrumental in helping us get a lot of the outlets we have for information up and going, if nothing else than just advising and telling our group, whether it was all of us collectively, or I know he had a lot of conversations with Angus about what works and what doesn't work and then how that changes over time. So, yeah, he was he was an instrumental part of agriculture in the South and then just a genuinely good guy. I mean, when, whenever you talk to him, you had a conversation with him too. He wasn't just calling and collecting information. He was calling and having a conversation with you. And I think that really – we spend so much time on the phone and a lot of times it's just exchanging A, B equals C. All right, see you later. And whenever you talk to him, you actually felt like you were having a conversation. And I do think that's hard to replace because that's not something that you trained. That's just a personality. And so then you have to have the the personality and that person having the desire to do something. Well, and I, I think it was it was his aspect of having that personal interaction with each of us. He would remember what you talked about the last time on the phone. I mean, certainly whenever I spoke to him, he'd always ask those personal questions. And in a lot of cases, I think sometimes we do have a lot of impersonal telephone conversations because there are plenty of folks that call, and you may not have ever met them or interacted with them beyond the telephone. And I know I'm a person that I do a really terrible job remembering folks' names. And then, of course, when you run into them in the God, field. I bet you're better at it than I am. No, nah, I'm terrible. When you oh. run into them in the field, they have a hat on. And that's usually why if I show up somewhere, I try to make a point of taking my hat off because I do have a shaved head. And there aren't a lot of us that have a shaved head. And years ago when I started this job, people used to say, hey, how come you wear that big floppy hat? And I'd pull it off and they'd say, never mind. Now I understand. I said, yeah, I just wear a big floppy hat because it's easier for me to see. And it also covers the fact that I got a lot of skin showing because I ain't got no hair. And that's how you became the ball pathologist. Right, that and somebody kind of dropping that whole moniker on me. And then I just decided to run with it. But, you know, to me, it's important how each of us got into agriculture. I didn't grow up in agriculture. I have no actual ties to the farm. I grew up in the suburbs. My dad was a banker. And I don't have any... But your dad was a lawyer. Well, my dad went to law school. My dad was a banker and worked in trust departments. So he was the guy that would set up trust funds for folks. And then that became what they more commonly refer to as wealth management. That's basically your stock advisor at a bank. So he went to law school, but he was not a practicing lawyer. And interestingly enough, that's actually the direction I had intended to go. I got an undergraduate degree in biology that basically when I went to Indiana was a pre-med track. Most everybody I went to undergrad with went to medical school. Most of those guys I was in a fraternity with, they're all doctors. They're ENTs or radiologists. I got one fraternity brother that's a surgeon, and he was one of the smartest people I think I have ever run across. So then how did you segue from undergrad in biology from Indiana? You didn't even 
go straight from there to no, I did production agriculture. You segued into some other related fields on the way to here. I didn't get into law school. I thought that was the direction I was going to go, which looking back on that is a good thing. That's certainly not something I have any regrets about. I'm glad I didn't go to law school for a lot of reasons. I moved back home after I graduated, took some classes at the local university, worked in retail, and then became a headhunter for about 18 months which actually was a fascinating direction to go. So when you talk and about And if you know Tom, that means a headhunter for jobs, not That's right. Yeah. actual headhunter. No, I didn't actually headhunt. That's typically what they re- refer to people that go under the classification as technical recruiters. I was a headhunter for the automotive industry and AutoCAD drafters. So I used to talk on the phone with guys that were design engineers that worked for Dana Spicer Axle in Northeast Indiana, and all of that automotive supply chain throughout the Rust Belt in this country. See, it's only a small step from there to Sheath Blight. Sure it is. But again, no ties to ag, so how did that all come about? Well, at that point in time, this would have been early 1996, And at that point, I was fairly passionate about forestry, so I wanted to go to forestry school. And that's essentially where I went, was to forestry school at Auburn. I took a summer practicum with the rest of the kids that essentially their parents were loggers in Alabama and learned how to basically be a practicing forester. But again, not the end of the story, because when I went back to campus, See, somewhere my dad's just, like, chuckling at you. No, and that's right, because your dad... My dad is a forester by that's right. training. Mr. Bruce and I have sat there and had several conversations about forestry and how we got into forestry and what we enjoyed about that. So, again, it's kind of the who you know sometimes and who you get into conversations with that about, because that's not something I really talk very much about, because it's kind of the long and winding road about how I ended up here in Stoneville. And we'll get to that point because that's pretty, pretty important because one, I didn't grow up on a farm, but Jason, you did grow up on a farm. So it makes sense as to why you're in Stoneville and you work in agriculture. Yeah, I'm pretty much here because I was born. (laughs) Born and grew (laughs) up on this side of the river and the other side of the river. that's That's the extent of how I got into agriculture. But you're still passionate about it, so you still have really close ties to that. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I went to LSU out of high school, and my mom probably, I don't remember, but she probably wanted me to go to law school or medical school or something that was not related to farming. And when I found out you could major in agronomy, I'm like, well, let's check that box. That's over with. That's what we're doing. And time goes by, here I am. So that's, honestly, it's as simple as that for me. There was never any diversion from it. Yeah, I didn't know back then I was going to be doing this, but I knew I was going to be doing something in agriculture. Well, I I don't think any of us knew that, but I think the close ties that most of the people here in Stoneville have to agriculture definitely speaks for that profession. And we all ended up in this place together. Some of us did that a little bit more, not necessarily in a straight line. I mean, I meandered and then fell backwards into plant mythology and decided from plant from forestry even that I wanted to do something more turf related so I went from forestry to turf grass pathology which again is 
just not the direction you would think, not something I talk about a lot because I don't want my neighbors all asking me what's going on in their yard and, hey, what can I spray for this or that? Because even though I enjoyed turf grass and I used to play a lot of golf, it's really not what I'm most passionate about. So I don't see you playing golf. I didn't know that. You didn't know that either? Yeah, well, last time I picked up my set of golf clubs was when I moved them into the house in, in April 2000, uh, 2007. That just does not seem like something you would take the time to invest in. Spent a lot of time taking lessons, spent a lot of time at country clubs hitting golf balls. So then I guess I kind of know how you got from turf grass. Oh, sorry. I'm knocking stuff over again. In Georgia, correct? That's right. You're working in Georgia. Yep. And so then you moved to Texas, and that was kind of your movement into that was my big production agriculture into production agriculture, and that was I was pretty much faced with applying for jobs, didn't get any interviews. Hey, now what am I going to do? Obviously, I haven't published enough. Look, there's this opportunity in Amarillo, Texas, to work on wheat diseases. Hmm, that looks pretty interesting. So let's see how that goes. Applied for that, flew out for the interview, got offered the job, moved to Amarillo, Texas. So how long were you in there? I don't remember. A little bit more than two years. Yeah, two's what I would have said. Two years, and then, you know, the fascinating thing about the Greenville area is this is where my wife was born. So her family and parents, her mom was from Greenville, her dad was from Glen Allen. So Stoneville job opening, well, that's interesting. How about that? Look, somebody from Mississippi State University is calling me on the phone. Who would that have been? That was Alan Hen, in fact, had okay. called, and he was the chair of the search committee at that point in time. Okay. And it definitely made sense. And really, there had been at least two other openings for jobs in Stoneville, mostly at the USDA. And I think Tracy, my wife, had said, you know, well, obviously somebody's trying to tell us something. The third position has opened there. We know enough about that part of the country. Let's Let's see how that goes. And that's obviously where we're meant to be. So that was in 2007, or or did you interview in 2006? I don't know. Nope, remember. interviewed in 2007. Strangely enough, that was like in February, if I'm not okay. mistaken. So it was in the early, late winter, early spring. I had been here for like six or not eight, even a whole mu- a whole year. Yeah, six or eight months. Tom and I've been here about the same amount of time. I remember when you interviewed. I remember you know being right over there across the hall in the classroom and the in the Caps building. I was like one of the first people that knew how to use that newfangled blackboard, whatever that thing was. Yeah, well, it was brand new well, at the time. I mean, it was about, you know, two years old or something. Somebody came up to me and said, man, we didn't think anybody knew how to use that thing. I was like, you hadn't used one of those yet? They're really cool. Yeah. Well, you were working in Texas, so. Yeah, I'm sure they had one or two or three of them. Uh, I don't remember there being one in the experiment station. I was well, it's one. not like y'all could really get together being so spread out. No, no, no. If you, if you did anything state. in College Station from Amarillo, you were typically on an airplane. During that time, you know, being in forestry, doing a couple of tours in turf, what was the biggest tipping point, do you think? Was it just opportunity or was there something else that diverted you towards this part of agriculture? I mean, because forestry is agriculture. Oh, yeah. And in the purest sense of the word, turf is too. And, and the unfortunate thing was, at that point in time, nobody was getting a job doing forest pathology. Very few job openings, almost no job openings in the actual company 
side of those situations, which, you know, really in this part of the world, you're down to like Warehouser and International Paper would basically be your two major corporations. I think it was just opportunity and how that all came about. Amarillo was a great fit. That was a really cool job. It was lots of fun. Different from the standpoint that it was production agriculture and wheat's a huge crop that they grow out there. Then coming here, you know, when I when I took this job, I remember the conversation with Dr. Street and he said, you'll work with your research counterpart and they'll help you learn the the ropes of what goes on in the field. You need to understand the disciplinary part and know the aspect of plant pathology. Everything else will come with that. And there's a lot of that that's pretty true. Yeah, and I think Street was good at stuff like that. That was kind of his style. He kind of chose people and plugged people in where there was a need. I wasn't necessarily a square peg in a round hole when I got here. But I wasn't round hole, round peg either because I was doing plant pathology. That's right. That was before Jeff Gore was here. I was doing entomology, and I was doing both of those, entomology and pathology, in rice. So I kind of had the rice part down because I had worked at LSU for two years before I came here. But I didn't know nothing about finding rice water weevils in rice. I could at least find sheath blight. But I don't know that I ever found a water weevil. And thank goodness Jeff came along and (laughs) took that off of him. But my point being was Street hired me to do rice, weed, and pest management, knowing good and well that I didn't know much of, if anything, about the pest management part of it. I knew the weed control. The rest kind of came along with it. But, you know, you take you, me, and there's other people, too, that Dr. Street was involved with hiring that he chose an individual rather than filling a position. That's right. You and I spent a good bit of time out there looking at sheep light together because you're right. You used to do the foliar fungicide trials in rice and basically hand the reins off to me. And I don't know if we did them. We, we were responsible for them. Right? Wow. <laughs> Come on now. A, G- give, you, give yourself a little bit more credit. Man, no, that was a... Uh, We'd stand there, look at those plots together, and usually come up with some... I will say that the, the pathology was much more like weed science than, than the entomology was. You know, Don always talks about, you know, their target getting up and moving, and, and mine doesn't, which, you know, rooted to the ground, obviously. But at least with the pathogens, they tended to stay in one place too weed science and pathology to me doing research in those are more similar than weed science and entomology just with the the target of the pest because like i said i don't know that i ever found a rice water weevil really the the fascinating aspect for me looking back at at a career that not not that long here in stoneville and certainly not that long since i graduated with a phd is that um I won't say that it was purely happenstance, but some things fell in place and certainly some proper doors opened for me to end up here. And and I think that, that that's something that we should talk about more from a standpoint of agriculture and how we, at least in Stoneville, ended up in some of those settings and how I know that that's even going on in the farming community today. Lots of these kids are growing up on farms. They're going to school. You know, hey, maybe mom and dad want me to go and be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. 
because they don't want me to go back to the farm. But in a lot of cases, that shoe still fits in some of those situations. And they fall back into that. And that's definitely something that we need to figure out how to foster a little bit more when you consider what the general average age is of farmers in general, let alone even in research right now. You know, at one point, the group that we have here seemed like we were young and driving hard. Now we're not as young as we used to be. And now we're a little bit more of the middle age group. Yeah. The text I was sending you this morning about sure would be nice if I could walk without hurting. That's where we're at. So it definitely needs to be some backfilling behind us because it is not something that I started to say it's not something you just go do, but it's got to be what we do. There's got to be some desire to do it because, you know, oftentimes we're kind of left to our own devices. We decide what we're going to do today and we decide what our priorities are. If you think back to the episode with Dr. Coble, he alluded to that, that it was our responsibility to figure out what was important and and it's not up to us to figure out what's important it's up to our stakeholders to determine what's important for us you don't just go do that you know you got to know people you got to know how to communicate to people what you think is important and then be able to glean from them what they believe is important and then try to put the two on some kind of similar or parallel track to where you're satisfied in your job, but you're also meeting the needs of the people that you're serving too. That's right. Oh, and I, and I would even say I'm, I'm not so proud some days to know that there are plenty of things from an agronomic and or agriculture standpoint that I feel like I have to ask stupid questions about. And usually I'm not the person that just raises my hand in a big group of people and asks that. I usually tend to just ask a couple of people to try and get an idea for it because it's not something that, that I grew up around. So asking some of those questions is important, but you have to glean information from everybody you talk to. That's, I learned that as a headhunter. You, you get comfortable on a specific topic and you start talking to people and you pick up some of that lingo and, and move forward on down the road a little bit. Some days I feel like we're not doing a good job of fostering that in some of these younger younger kids. And maybe I just feel like we don't have a good audience for that conversation sometimes. Or is it possible that now you're the old dude and you can't relate to the younger kids? I'd like to say no, but, but sometimes I think that's definitely what's going on. I feel that way with our 14-year-old daughter. I would going to have to burst your bubble and say that you're wrong. No. <laughs> I think you are the old dude now. Yeah, no, I know. Really, I think we say all of this to really hint at the idea that we would like to move a couple of special podcast episodes towards talking to some people that have come back to the farm from a different profession, because I think that's important. What do they see about agriculture that remains attractive? What do they see about farming that they see on the horizon from a future standpoint that brought them back to the farm? because there is so much related in the aspect of family farmers and family farming in this part of the country that I think is important to highlight. That's just Tom's aspect as a, as a recovering Yankee. So I could totally throw the gauntlet down on you now and just say that we're going to call this series Why Ag and move forward a couple times during the season and, and see how that goes and what kind of feedback we get. Yeah, I think it's a good idea that you had. I'm all for it. 
and I'm always interested in asking people how you know how did you get to where you are. Fascinating to me the the twists and turns that people take you know over the years, and then like you said, these little decisions that have far-reaching implications in your life. You know, you mentioned pretty much just had an opportunity. And then it puts you into a whole nother realm that, that you never imagined. I didn't have that kind of earth-shattering experience. Like I said, mine just kind of came with the territory. Uh, but I know there's a lot of those stories out there, and I'd be interested in hearing them too. So I know Tom has some ideas of folks that he'd like to talk to. And so look forward to those in the future. And, of course, we'll certainly continue to bring you the real-time content when those issues come up yeah like we, we always do I, I think we'll we'll interject these throughout the season some additional flavor for the podcast to kind of talk about some of those stories that are going on within agriculture and on the farm and as always we appreciate our listeners tuning into us taking that time out of the day to listen to what we have to say uh, and definitely the feedback has continued to be positive, and that's something that I think we continue to appreciate. We definitely like our listeners to know that. And by all means, y'all reach out to us if you like something that we're doing or if you don't like something that we're doing. Uh, that's cool, but we'd love to hear from you. You know, text us, call us, hit us up on Tom's Twitter, which is at CropDoctorsMS. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.